Brandon's, uh, this one's an off the dome one. I don't have anything. Brandon, what's up, bro? What's going on, guys? I saw you pop in there while we were wrapping up the other one. Sorry, man. I got a back-to-back shows today. No, it's all good. It's all good. No problems at all, bro. <laughs> It'll be fun one day when we have an actual studio, and that way we, you know, just bring the guests in and everybody gets to yeah, Everybody just and... piles in, does their thing, and <laughs> hangs out, you know? Yeah, yeah. You'll never know who you meet. This is this is a fun day. We're going from a U.S. senator to a a renowned breeder and geneticist and co-creator of some of the strains. Well, I shouldn't say some. Co-creator of the plants that started it all for all the cannabis that you pretty much smoke nowadays. Did I get that correct? Sure. <laughs> oh, we work with all heirloom genetics, right? So. Right actually having the ability to work with Bubba, to work with other breeders in the industry. A lot of the guys, you know, would rather be left out of the conversation in a sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, guys that have been growing for almost 50 plus years up in Humboldt County, you know, guys that are like late 60s, early 70s, and they're uh, very protective of themselves. Uh, now that doesn't mean that we're not all greased with this amazing product because, you know, it does, uh, it does trickle out, um, (laughs) but there's a very high price for it. Some of the craft stuff that even, uh, you know, like the project I just did, the Bubber Walters, right? We're going to talk about that. You know I mean? I know you told me the price tag the other day. Oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) Ounces are easily going 500 pounds are easily going Five six thousand easy, all day. But why? Why not though? Why not though? I mean, that's that. What? That's not uncommon. You take it back to just a few years ago. The market, I feel, that has gone. You know, it's gone up and down. How every market does on on the legal and the black market. But there was uh, same thing. Pounds just back in two thousand seventeen eighteen. Of I mean. You pay for what you get, right? You always pay for quality. And that's how it is in any industry. So if you want that super limited, exclusive, nobody else can get their hands on, pay for it. I don't have a problem with that. I, I like that. It keeps, uh, that's how you keep quality. That's how you keep exclusivity. That's how you keep people dedicated to a certain thing and always want to come back for more. And that's how you also, you can build an amazing brand like the Bubba Kush brand. Right. Because the people that are looking for it are celebrities. They're exclusive. They want very specific cuts. They want specific strains. Sometimes very specific phenos within the strain. Um, If you have somebody that really gets into strain, what it does, what the medical conditions of it are, you know, for instance, uh, a good example of this would be... uh, there's a strain called Redwood Kush. Redwood Kush in the industry is known as the crab killer. Every female out there in the industry loves this strain of cannabis because it literally takes their menstrual cramps away. Okay. Uh, so much so if you solidify it into a form, there have even been people that lace tampons with these suppositories, just like there's been all sorts of different studies and things. Um, and people are finding amazing relief from it. And just the fact that they're finding amazing relief from it, you know, that makes people want to become educated and curious about, well, what does sour diesel do? Or what does Godbud do? Or what does, you know, any of the heirloom strains, you know, we have had 
conversations before this previously where, you know, uh, heirloom strains are basically kind of getting lost in the profile. I'm not, you know, in no way, shape, or form am I throwing stones in a glass house because I am just as guilty of this as anybody else is. I mean, I'm literally out here breeding, you know, Barbara's a perfect example. 60% Bubba Kush, Face Off OG, Space Queen, a BC Godbutt, HM3. Now, you mix all that together. I want to smoke that so bad, though. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you mix all that together. What I found is I'm I'm actually in a cure process for testers, okay, that I've grown. And the hairs are white. The bud is purple. I, I'm waiting for, like, I'm waiting for it to turn, okay? I'm waiting for it to pull the blues and the oranges and stuff out, right? Yeah. And I'm not finding it. it. It's not. So you've already pulled it and you're curing it and it still hasn't changed? It still hasn't changed. Like, Oh, my God. So I had called... Obviously, with all the experience I have in growing cannabis and, you know, being a geneticist, I even called a couple breeder buddies and I was like, guys, <laughs> stick with me here for a second. I went under a microscope. I'm looking at my trailer cone. I know, you know, 56, 60 days. We're here. Okay. And I got clear. I got cloudy. I got a, a couple blues, some purples. I got ambers. I said, but the bud itself is not, it's not looking, has not the appearance of finishing. I said, leaves are curling, everything's been flushed, you know, we're in a a really good fade, but the bud itself is just not showing color. My one buddy's just, you know, Sometimes you just got to go with what the trichomes are telling you, which is the absolute truth. And if the plant is in that state and you're seeing it, don't question it, you know, because you it, it doesn't look active. And he is right. I have grown testers in the past where I've done this. I've pulled them and then all of a sudden everything looks perfect. You know, I come back five, six days in the right condition to cure and everything is bang, right on point. I think that also has a lot to do with the flushing sequence. I want to talk about some of that, man. So, yeah, I use you a know, lot of old school techniques yeah. with new school 2023 tech. Okay. 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 So, let's go back in the day. You know, let's talk yeah. about Brandon's closet in the basement. Yeah, that's sense where I want to go. You know, I want to for, uh, for our listeners out here. Let's break it down. Break it down on a on an elementary, and then throw in that that like like we did the other day that super nerdy level. Break it down from where you started to where it's came, and then and then just some of the processes that that it that it takes to be and the dedication that it takes to be a geneticist and a breeder to create these exclusive strains and bring back the quality and stuff. Bring mm-hmm. it back, bro. Let's dive down that rabbit hole. Back in the day, you know, we were growing in closets, hidden in an inside wall in a basement. You know, nobody really knew what you were doing. Some of the biggest stuff that we really, really got into back in the day was still around the 99. And the reason was because you could flip it in 45 days. So you could get six cycles in in a year. And if you were doing this on a constant basis, it was really up in your project, your your production as far as bud as well um you know back in the day 
we didn't know any better. So we all started out in that ocean floor fox farm pack, you know, uh, like everybody did in the late 90s and the early 2000s because that's all there really was. You know, I I started growing cannabis at a very, very young age. So for me, I really used very simple methods. One of the main things I used to do was I would go and I would get raw fish and fish guts. And when I knew that plants were outdoor, you know, when I was younger, growing in the garden with everything else, I would literally side dig and put that in there knowing that the plant would neutralize that CO2 in order to get the production of quality above that I needed to get, you know, uh, that is something that's way lost, you know, now fast forward real quick. You know, some guys doing it way up in like humble and the Trinity and the Shasta up in Northern Cali, like some of those old guys, like you're talking about that um, are still, they're still growing their soil. I mean, yeah, but they have now with the advance of technology and another thing I could throw here too, you know, I do, I do a lot of research all the time to see what's the newest, what's the latest that's coming out and, and what is being held over and the soils, the living soils, the crop salt, nutrients, everything that's really back to earth and you know, really back to nature is far surpassed anything that we could have done in the old school methods, believe it or not. Even the, I know that there's purists out there that will totally agree with me. You know, if you have like a build the soil three right now is an amazing living soil on the market. And if you put the right rooted cannabis clones in that soil and feed that plant, nothing but perfectly pH balanced water, you will grow a perfect cannabis plant. I mean, it's amazing technology. And the funny thing is, it's just nature. You know, um, people are going way, way, way back to their roots. You know, now we didn't have cool LEDs back then. We do now. Uh, We didn't have these cool crop salt top type nutrients where, you know, if you had a a nutrient soil or a non-nutrient soil, depending on what your grow method is, whether it's hydro or whether it's soil, uh, what are, what your buffer is basically. There's so many different options now, but there are things I see. I I've always been true to soil. I've never really been a hydro guy. And the reason why is that? Yeah. uh, I just feel that the bud tastes better. You know, if you talk to the old, old G, I agree. I agree. It, it's so funny. I, I can't tell you how many conversations Bryce had been in where I'm literally, you know, oh man, this is, this is really good. Uh, it would have been so much better if you had grown this in soil. And those are guys that are growing, you know, really decent stuff. You know, I, I'm not gonna bomb on people that are getting decent results. And these are people that are spending a lot of money to get these results. Yeah, you know, two point seven million watts of lights, eighty six thousand gallons of water today. Like through two thousand pound hydroponic tables, they're pushing a full Athena system. Looking at it on an iPad, tells you what pod's wrong. If it's in the red, go check it out. Like this is not. There's no science to this anymore. Like you know, there's so many studies, so many, so much information, so much education. Israel's 14 years ahead of where we are in the United States. 
overseas. You know, they're just looking for different genetics at this point. Their methods have even been perfected. A lot of people have really come forward. Old school things I still use today. One of the things that I do is I really, uh, I understand how light deprivation works for plants. Yeah. And uh, I understand VPD very well and humidity. Uh, I, here's one thing. Let, let's start here. I think a lot of people when growing cannabis, and if you want, if you want to grow cannabis successfully, or I, I should say, Anybody can grow cannabis, but not anybody can grow cannabis you want to smoke. So, yep. uh, oh, I've seen that, man. I've seen some. I've seen some home grows that I'm like, yeah. Even if you give that to me for free, bro, I don't want to smoke it. It's <laughs> <laughs> mad, but it's <laughs> out there. You know, there's definitely a certain process to it. I've found a very reliable process throughout the last two years using old school and new school techniques. But at the end of the day, it comes down to genetics. If you have solid genetics, to give you an example, I had a guy who was a new grower, and he made an honest mistake, and he thought that his pH tester was balanced when it wasn't. He thought he was balancing his water to, like, you know, a very easy... 6.3, 6.5. And what he was actually balancing his water to was 3.3, which is so acidic. It's just, it's insane. But I, and, uh, I set him up with a decent package. Build the soil has certain elements in it that'll neutralize and balance pH if it's off in order to maximize it for the plant as well as different uh, microbes that we use, you know, yucca, seaweed, silica, all sorts of different things. So so by having having soil, because isn't that a, a risk that you run with like running just pure hydro? Because if you, like you just said, if you're off on, on something on one of your calculations, you can burn your plant, can't you? Yeah, or it's on work. medium. Okay. Yes. So let's say you got root right in water, right? And you just, something goes wrong. You literally have a window of less than 24 hours to save that crop. Because there's no versus soil. Well, so, I mean, we can, we can step up, you know, step up will be like some form of cocoa pellet, some form of median, like a tuper, if you will. Okay. Where the plant has it. Uh, you know, for instance, if you're growing cannabis in tuper and you're using a mill system, which is very common, uh, you can feed that plant four to six times a day. <laughs> it's there, it's porous, but it's not really going to hold anything. It's just yep. enough buffer so that you can't kill the plant instantaneously. Okay. <laughs> you come into rock, you come into cocoa, all these things still just buffer. And then you hit soil. When you make the switch over to soil, you know, now you go from your inert, you're not inert. Is it a living soil? What type of step is it? Does it have any type of nutrients, fertilizer, anything in it? You know, is it balanced? And that's where you start with your simple ocean floors, you know, which is just a really good soil. And you're going to have to balance it. 
So it'll give you an easier median for pH balance. But I mean, if I can pass any advice on to any grower, the simplest, easiest thing to grow the best cannabis is to simply make sure your water is properly pH balanced. Period. That's where a lot of guys really mess up, you know? And then uh, they start throwing parts at it. Oh my God, we need Kelmag. Oh my God, we need microbes. Oh my God, these are phosphorus heavy plants. Are they? Or you guys just throwing, you know, 5.5 or over 7 at it. I mean, there's a decent range. You know, you get 5.8 to 6.5 is pretty decent range. I mean, you know, you can you can get it in. I understand hydro's a different range, you know, but that's pretty much why I like that soil median. So that is definitely an old school thing that we bring to the future. I think one of the biggest improvements is bar red, LED, UV, the fact of plant uh, progression through light. So I will explain what I mean by that. Back in the day, when you use old HBs, HBs. You know, that's just how you grew. It's completely different because you can get a full spectrum with far red with UV and everything. We didn't have that opportunity. And if we did, we were adding lights and we were just shooting from the hip. <laughs> hey, we throw a red one in here. Is that not that do anything? Oh, you know, running over to Petco and grabbing every spectrum of old. <laughs> I think we should throw a blue and a purple one in there. And then, well, let's see what happens. I mean, if you want to talk about bro science and just shoot from the hip, the nineties yeah. were amazing early 2000s just yeah uh i've i've heard of some people nowadays that and i wanted to ask you they say that they still prefer the old hcs because because of the heat output they say that with these new leds and stuff that you know without having that heat that it just doesn't do something correctly to the buds and then i and then i meet people that they like to use a mixture and then you have the guys that just you know use full modern lighting with led and full spectrum uv and stuff What's your thoughts on that? Do you need that heat? I mean, but I don't know what they're talking about. I got a, <laughs> I'm running an 854 with two 720i ions, and I'll tell you what, keeping that thing under 86 degrees, that's uh, quite the task. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't have no problems with heat. Maybe a little bit easier to move. Uh, a good airflow dissipation, but no, you know, so a good example of that, Bryce, you know, when you're growing with old lights, your plants would need a solid 45 minutes to an hour, maybe hour and a half in a wake up period from when the light turns on. Okay. And then when it turns off, it's just normal photosynthesis back in the day. Okay. With the new lights, these plants wake up in between 15 to 30 seconds. Oh, wow. Okay. Difference is that the plants realize and they see the signature of these full spectrum UV. And what it really is, is far red programming. Okay. So I will explain far red programming very simply to you. Far red programming basically takes the plant and gives it the ability to initialize photosynthesis immediately without having to go through a wake up or a shutdown, cool down, nighttime process, okay? Advantages, disadvantages. 
huge advantages for the people that are an experienced grower. Okay. Uh, because what this does is, so now let's say if it takes 45 minutes for your plant to wake up, that's an hour and a half of time every day. Okay. And let's say your flower cycles 56 days with a UV far red light, the new technology, all that time gets chopped off of my grow period. So I'll get to 50 days and I'll go, hey, my plants are done. Why are my plants done? Oh, only because I gained six days of time for my plants having the ability to wake up and fall asleep within two minutes tops. That's pretty amazing. That's a huge difference in a lag period where if we go on a fire into three hours a day, that's a lot of time. That's a lot. Okay. On scale. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So if your grow is dialed in, your soil's dialed in, your nutrients are dialed in, and your plants are just super happy, your CO2 content's right there. You know, nowadays you get a little pulse and just hang it on your wall and read it right from your phone and it tells you everything you need to know. Okay. Before, well, I mean, Man, we didn't have CO2 controllers back in the day. We didn't, like, we knew CO2, every simple, simple, you know, biology, chemistry tells you, you know, plants breathe CO2 and give off oxygen. Yeah, okay, all right, cool. You know, we all went to elementary school. (laughs) It's not rocket science. No, it's how much and that, you know, 1,500 parts per million per, you know, in a room and that's in the peak and... You know, it's kind of like lighting sequence to do a lot light testings for, you know, use. I got lights now. I keep them 18, 18 inches away from them. They don't burn the flowers at all. The plants absolutely love it, right? And I'm throwing almost 1,600, 2,000 U direct to the top of the flower. And that's just insane. Like, that's absolutely insane. Okay? And it keeps getting better. It really does. I mean, there's there's companies out there like Science LED right here in Arizona that are making the most amazing lighting equipment. Full, I mean, full customization. Blues, browns, whites, reds, purples, you know, all your far red, your UV, everything fully customization. And, and all from a, a beautiful app on your phone. Wow. That's what we were talking yeah. about the other day of like being able to take some of the, you know, what was considered primo strains from back in the day and then grow them with today's technology and understanding. Yeah. I'd be very interested to see, you know, what could be done with it. And that's, um, let's, um, for those people that don't know, you know, I'm a brand new person to cannabis. I'm very interested in it. Uh, I want to know the history on it and stuff. And I keep hearing these terms of, of land race or heirloom. What does that mean? Define that for me. So there, uh, if if we dig really, 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 really deep, let's go back five thousand years ago. <laughs> um, Hopping the way back, let's go. Right, let, let's just go. Uh, we're in Asia, and we're in the Middle East. Okay, uh, and shamans and Middle Eastern people are literally using cannabis, and it's rarest form which would have been afghan so uh by our standards today that would be what's considered kush 
So I know when I was in the army, um, my first experience with hashish, chadis, yeah. was in Afghanistan. There you go. So, <laughs> and you know, and they were not only with cannabis, but they were also very well into opium. Oh man, they love their opium. They love their opium over there. Ooh. They do. So basically that is the base. Okay, because you have the land race strains that started out in Asia and the Middle East. Now, just like anything through breeding, just like what Bubba did with the Bubba originally, and then mixing it with Kush and making Bubba Kush, and then having OG and you see these progressions through the early nineties. Okay. Into the two thousands. And now we're at a point where some readers are pulling genetics back. Okay. And this is where the heirloom comes in. Okay. Land race and heirloom are very important because if you have OG Kush, Bubba Kush, Chemdog 4, Silarenda 99. You know, I got to be honest with you. If you're growing those four strains and you're a really good grower, you're winning awards. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.